So I think it's pretty intuitive, the transition from novice to intermediate programming, uh, just manipulating one variable at a time. But I'm not sure how that same logic applies to transitioning to more advanced yep. programming. Exactly the same, actually. Not everybody will go through this exact progression, but it will look very similar for everyone. And here's what we, we note. Like I, I would challenge you to find somebody who wouldn't go through this, who wouldn't make tremendous progress going through this progression. LP three days a week, which will eventually make minimum effective dose kind of single, single pieces of complexity changes or change a single variable until you get to a heavy light medium type of training, which Texas method also is. Right? Are you with me? Mm -hmm. After that lecture. So Texas method and heavy light medium are the same style of program. Just a little bit different, but as far as the style, it's the same sort of thing where you're making progress once a week. It's where you're making that same three days a week full body training and you're making progress every two weeks. Right? You're hitting new PRs every other week and then you're hitting PRs every third week. And then eventually you go to the point where you split to a four day split program and you're probably going two upper days, two lower body days in, in, in a four day split, which may still continue sort of a Texas method, heavy light medium sort of layout. And then at some point you can't drive the intensity up enough anymore and you have to start adding in volume, which you can do via both reps and sets. Most of us, I, th I think most of us would agree that adding more sets to get your volume up will carry over better for strength, doing things like you know, seven sets of three or six sets of four rather than three sets of eight is gonna to tend to carry over better, but whatever. So the next thing you know, you're doing this four day split and you're making progress once every three weeks, once every month. And then what happens? Well, now you're kind of at the end of intermediate programming. You're, you're sort of at the beginning of advanced programming. And then what happens? Well, we add more, we add more volume and we eventually get to our point where we're running sort of a heavy light medium wave on four week blocks. And the next thing you know, you're doing block training. You're doing sort of an accumulation block, which is high volume and relatively light, a transitional phase, transmutation intensity phase, which then sort of transmutes that work capacity over to intensity. And then an intensity phase or a peaking phase where you hit PRs and you run that block training. You can run that several times through. And then at some point you go, man, now I need even more volume. So now, Benching two times a week and pressing two times a week isn't enough. I need to start adding three times a week those. And next thing you know, now you're benching three times a week. You're still pressing twice. You add in a third squat or a third deadlift back again, but the variance on the lifts, right? You bring in those supplemental lifts. And before you know it, you, you're blinking and you're doing a, like a daily undulating periodization type phase, which is very, very high frequency via volume. And it all just is, it still just walks down the line of single variable changes literally you can see like the yellow brick road that goes from here to oz starting with lp and ending with the most advanced programming and they almost all end up that way and then what happens is at some point and that's if it goes perfect right at some point you get sick or you go on vacation or you go hang out for a month in mexico or you get injured and then you don't train for several weeks and you come back from a two-week vacation to mexico what do we do lp yeah for shorter and we go right through that same process again and you just start going through that process as you get to the point where somebody's done DUP or like a very advanced program three or four times in a row man that's somebody who has never missed training for a long time but that, that doesn't happen that, that often so that makes sense yeah it still kind of works out that way
I would like to ask, in your opinion or experience, what is the best way to fix a vegan? Fix a vegan? It really would just depend on why they're vegan. Is it um, like a philosophical thing? Is it a religious thing? Like, is it because they really do like actually feel for animals being killed? Like, I mean, that's I don't know what we can do about that. It's just right. it's we all going to come down to um, what's more important to them. If, you know, eating more effectively to train better and to grow more muscle better is more important to them, then they'll make some changes. But if that's not as important to them, then they'll just keep eating that way. And people can eat enough protein being vegan, but it's certainly hard, and their caloric intake is going to be a lot harder because they have to eat a lot more carbohydrates to get the extra protein. So body composition is going to start to be, become an issue for them too. So... It just depends on why they why they choose to eat that way. Mm. It's usually philosophical. He can't. He said it's normally philosophical. You do the best you can. A good professional does the best they can with what they have. Now, when you develop a relationship with somebody long term, as a coach, one of those pieces of that is you want them to develop a right relationship with food, right? Having a right relationship with food. Like we have people that are chronic under eaters or people that are chronic over eaters, people that are emotional eaters or like whatever and part of our job as coaches that that's part of it but that's not part of it on day one somebody comes in and they won't eat meat on day one i don't tell them that they're stupid and that they can't make progress not eating meat that's a that's a poor business decision so it's my job to coach you we'll develop a relationship and we'll get some trust there so there a lot of people like in india at ssoc they won't eat beef they can't eat beef right religiously and some of them have decided that whey protein is okay. Now, that's not my job to tell them that whey protein is okay, but they'll, they'll drink whey protein or they'll drink egg protein or some sort of other decent high bioavailability sort of protein and they'll be fine, right? So there's a lot of managing expectations and letting them know that they're going to have a hard job of uh, making sure they're, they're meeting the nutritional component of their training. But if they don't do that, then just be like, well, you're just not going to train as well and these are the results we can expect. Yeah. Uh, I think one thing I've, I've come to realize this weekend is I need to be, even without a coach, videotaping my lifts. And now that I have better, I have a better eye, self-evaluating and so forth. So more specific to that, when I am doing that, and I know that bar speed is an indicator of when to transition into a different type of uh, kind of change of programming a bit on the lift. But I'm, I'm still, I guess, confused as to what is, what is slow, like what is fast. I, I did meet with one starting coach uh, over the summer. And I remember thinking as my squat, and like, gosh, this is like, to me it was grindy, but then the coach was like, oh no, you're, you're fine, like, it's moving fast. Like, yeah. I don't know, is there, is it number of seconds? Is it, is it individual per lift? Uh, it's, it's a lot, it's, I think it's pretty individual for the lifter too. And yeah. I don't know if bar speed's a super great uh, metric for a lifter for themselves for a while, because they don't know. Yeah. But for a coach who has a pretty good eye at seeing like, yeah, this lifter is probably gonna lift this way. and this lifter is going to be able to grind out five reps that all look like limit attempts. Like every single rep looks like a one RM. Um, so I don't know if bar speed is a super great metric until you're, until you've been lifting for a couple of years, because you also just don't know how to grind for a while too. Like so what you don't know how to stay metric? with the bar. Hmm? So what is the good metric? Um, just getting, finishing the rep. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> like the most objective we can make it is, did you finish the rep or not? Yep. The stress has to go up, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. And that's what you just learned from the programming lecture. Sure. Which means the weight on the bar has to go up or the reps have to go up. Or yeah. I mean, the volume has to go up. 
And if it didn't, you weren't able to increase stress over time, and now we have a problem. There's an issue. You have to start understanding the big picture of that stress recovery adaptation. So for, and that's really what it is for most people. For, for our clients, as a coach, if you coach somebody for several years, you get a real good idea of their bar speed, what it should look like on the different lifts. And then that's a pretty good communication piece, something that I can see and something I can use as a metric as a coach looking at my at clients. I can tell when stress is starting to overwhelm them and the lifts aren't going well based on bar speed. But for them, even people that I've coached for years that are really good lifters, they just think it's all heavy. It's all heavy. What you can do, Jeff, is, is video yourself. Think about how that felt and say, fuck, that was hard. And then watch the video and s remove yourself emotionally from yeah. that situation and see if what you're seeing matches what you felt, right? <clears throat> so in terms of programming though, remember we talked about, uh, I mean, you're just gonna have to go with what, am I gonna get the next workout? Am I gonna complete the next workout? And if the answer is, I don't know or no, if you make that next programming change and you've done it two weeks early, what's what's the net effect it's not a big deal right right you understand what i'm saying yeah so like i still want to make it a month early because then <laughs> yeah right <laughs> um yeah. i get it though yeah yeah and by so, the way that happens to all of us too like sure. even now like we all do this yeah. i pulled a heavy deadlift last week i was like that was so heavy so heavy and my wife was like that yeah, wasn't that didn't look that bad and i watched the video i was like damn it wasn't that bad yeah. felt bad dude i've been lifting competitively for 20 years still feels heavy to me Yep. That's why we all coach each other. We come to these things, we coach each other. It's one, one of the best, best things. Yeah. All right, I hate to do this, but I'm going to do it. Um, how do you integrate it into <laughs> what <you have>? <laughs> <laughs> Let's hear it. The cons and all that stuff. So I'm already... CrossFit specifically? Yeah. So well, the question is? General, I mean, we, don't, we do a lot of barbell stuff, obviously, sure. already. And I, I run, like, five PT clients and everything. So, obviously, I see the, the super easy to integrate with personal training and into the barbell programming and all that stuff, but the big question is, you know, for the gen population, when people, the biggest issue, obviously, any gym runs into is just consistency, people showing up, and that's obviously a, a fucking, another issue, but, you know, I just kind of want to hear your guys' take on, if, if perfect world you were going to do it, how would you do it? Out of a public gym, in group setting, yes. specifically applied to CrossFit people, or no? Yes. Okay, so how, so the question is, how would you integrate starting strength this gym owner into your gym along with people who have joined this gym in CrossFit to yeah. be a CrossFitter. Right. And so and now you've kind of seen the light and you're like, but I really want to get them strong. But I can't just let them not ever do CrossFit and I either train them in groups. So how do I do that? Yes. Is that fair? Is that kind yeah. of what you're asking? Yep. Well, would you have, do you run your classes so that they have like a strength component and then a Metcon? Some days, I mean, we, it's about three days of lifting, you know, that's, I mean, absolutely, okay. and then it's, you know, four or five days of Metcom, so it depends on uh, their daily program. So it depends on their daily program, but typically three days of strength. So yeah. what I would suggest is going back to the three criteria and giving them the most exposure to the exercise that satisfy those three criteria the best. Gotcha. So you need to have, you know, a back squat two times a week, you need to have a deadlift once a week. And so, you know, the trouble, one of the troubles with CrossFit is someone really wants to get good at overhead squats, but they don't squat once, except for maybe every 14 days. Sure. But that's okay. If you can get their back squat up, they're going to be a lot better at doing overhead squats. So if you can make them squat almost every time they're in the gym yeah. with a back squat, 
good. If you can make them learn how to deadlift and give them a meaningful dosage of deadlifting without overwhelming them, you know, once or twice a week, that'd be good. And have them press. Have them start, like, I would just really make sure you get those three in. Basically just keep it as simple as possible. Keep it simple, but like, they, ha they have to be exposed to a heavy squat and they have to be expo exposed to a heavy deadlift like every week. Gotcha. And it, it gets a little, the tough, I think one of the tough things to manage with crossfitters is like, oh man, I just squatted last time. It's like, yeah, you have to squat. <laughs> like you have to educate them on how that's gonna transfer over into everything. Yeah. Because you know, when they get their deadlift up, they're gonna power clean better, they're gonna row better. Um, when they squat better, they're gonna do wall balls better. Like everything's gonna get better. Yeah. And you know, make sure they're recording, recording what they're doing. Make sure they have a log so that they can be like, yeah, I squat every time I'm in the gym, but like you can tell them, well, look how much it's gone up. Like that's really good. Like, um, give them uh, objective criteria to show that they're getting better. Yep. All right. Perfect. And then you can have a, a strength-only class that most people will just end up going to. <laughs> yeah, we do that already. Now. Yeah. We did Monday through Friday. The first 30 minutes was barbells every time in CrossFit. We own a CrossFit. <clears throat> And, uh, and then the met climb was the second half of the hour. If the class was an hour long, first 30 minutes is barbells. We had the lift that they were supposed to do that day, but we had a hierarchy of lifts. So the problem that Nikki's kind of getting at is, what if, if you squat every Monday, but you have a, a person who never comes on Monday, they never squat. Right. So they show up on Tuesday, and on Tuesday you're supposed to be doing snatch, but that person's gonna squat right. when they show up on Tuesday. Gotcha. So you kind of have a hierarchy for us. We had to do this hierarchy of lifts. The first 30 minutes is barbells. And for us, it was the squat, the deadlift, the bench, the press, the snatch, and the clean. Right? Those, so you had all those across the board. But we had kind of a hierarchy. So squat comes give, first. Give the members some predictability. In a sense. Correct. And then, and then there's, yeah, which I think is fine yeah. for the barbell lifts. Sure. You can do whatever you want to with the Metcons afterwards. Right, right. And we would do like, you know, we would still do partner Metcons and group Metcons, especially on the weekends, those Saturday, like, fun stuff that they all want to do. It's fine. Let them do it. Same thing with the veganism thing. Like you're gonna have to manage expectations. Well, it is the same thing. Oh, I'm sorry. You know this. Like you're you've come out of a powerlifting yeah. background now. Like you just have to manage expectations. Yeah. If people are training six days a week and they're doing five or six metcons a week, their LP is just not gonna be that great. But it's again, I'm not in the business of crushing dreams. Right. If that's what they want to do and they enjoy it and they get value from it and they get most for most people they get community from it. And then what love the community aspect of of metcons. Let them do it. And come in and do their heavy squats and deadlifts first before the Metcon, not after the Metcon. Right. And you can do you have classes seven days a week. Yeah, we do. Then you can have like a rotating schedule of eight lifts where it's like squat, press, gotcha. deadlift, squat, yeah, blah, yeah. blah, blah. But then you just like cycle it through. So it's not always Monday you're squatting. Mm -hmm. It's going to cycle through. So if someone is going to try and cherry pick, they won't be able to. Yeah. So I look around at the You guys all look at me when you ask that. <laughs> <laughs> what are we doing? <laughs> well, I always, I always can't help myself but ask the question whenever that comes up is, do you think we're trying to do something to prevent women from coming here? Like, is that? I don't, but I also notice like all the videos of lift, like deadlifts, for example, or men. Every person, like in a certain thing, book is like assumed to be a male person unless. Yeah, yeah, but it's, anyway, to me it seems like a default, but 
Um, so I think there, there are like subtle things that maybe could, could be done differently, but I'm... So, so yeah, you go first. Well, okay. So some, I think some things are artifacts, like things that are in the book and things that are in our lecture of just like, you know, most of the people that have competing in strength and, been, and have been practicing strength for the longest time have been men. You know, like the heaviest weights we saw lifted, like those happened years and years ago, like probably before there was testing <laughs> for steroids. And so the heaviest lifts were lifted by men. And we're actually, during our lecture, trying to analyze what happens when you absolutely, when, when a human being goes for an absolute max effort attempt. And, you know, people with more testosterone are going to do that. That's just, you know, biology. So I think part of it is just artifacts of that. Um, also, there's a tendency for women to not demonstrate great form when they're at limit attempts because of the neuromuscular efficiency. So that would, there would be more examples of lifts that don't really look great that we would include in our lecture. And sure, there are definitely females lifting that do have great form in the SQ lifts. That's, that's also for sure. From a, speaking not specifically from starting strength, but from what we're doing at SSOC and, and Barbell Logic, and we very much want to be incredibly inclusive of, of all demographics, certainly. Um, and so we've tried really hard over the last year to do that. Um, I believe 45% of my staff are females. Uh, they're phenomenal coaches. As a matter of fact, if there's anything, I'd be sexist against men as coaches. They're be they not better blanketed bigoted statement, but they're very good with customer service in general. They're just more service oriented. And so they've been great. I look at turnover rates for our clients. Our females are tremendous coaches. They have great client satisfaction sort of surveys come back. Um, as we've made videos for Barbell Logic, I've tried to be, we, we have just as many females, if not more females making videos than men. Um, so all of those things are really important to us. And, and also to get out this, I, this kind of lifestyle idea that we're lifting for strength and health and performance. And that changes uh, it changes everyone, male and females alike, for the better, mentally, socially, from a confidence perspective. We're not lifting purely for aesthetics. We're not lifting to make ourselves look like culture think says we're supposed to look or to take pictures of our butts on Instagram. Like that's not who we are and we feel like that's very shallow. Um, so we're not trying to do that. So we've, we've pushed really hard that direction. And yet, we're still like 85% male. And so part of the deal is, man, the culture is tough. And, and you, you see this because you get on Instagram and all these women that just hang their parts out have four million followers on Instagram. And they're just, they're nothing more than just like, how few clothes can I wear? And like, what pictures can I take of myself? And again, it's not who we are. And so we are, this is where Rip talks about sort of narrow casting. It's not that we're narrow casting. We're actually sort of casting out as wide of a net as we possibly can. We just catch far fewer women who are interested in like health and performance. And I, I wish that that weren't the case. I just, you know, and so the ones that we have are tremendous. And I think as more women see the benefits of strength training, um, the more that that will continue to grow and expand. And so certainly we're, we're trying to push that way really hard. So for us, it's been really difficult. We're spending a lot of money on trying to reach women. And at the same time, we don't want to forget that our primary demographic moneymaker is middle aged men. And so um, you have to be really careful there, right? Where somebody says, they're like, hey, you can't forget about the people who have been with you and been loyal to you all along. And so we're trying to walk this, and it's a hard line to walk. One more thing that I think is really important is 
I would never be attracted to a company that was doing something special because I was a woman. Mm. That would be, I would find that offensive. Mm -hmm. It's like, if you just want me because I'm going to help your quota for a female, that is a huge turnoff to me. And I think that we would rather not um, go to that level where we're just Mm -hmm. like, well, we just need to get more women in the seats. Like, what are we going to do? So part of, I think, what appeals to me is that if there is going to be any recognition of women or any specific conversation about how females train, it's because, like, well, that's, it it really is just a testosterone difference. Like, it comes down to stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And then deal with, you know, actually being nice to every human being who lifts, who wants to lift, and not just being like, oh, I'll treat you different because you're a girl. And let us add that this observation of the split uh, in ratio between men and women is not unique to starting strength. Sure. Is, this is true in the entire fitness industry. When you look at exercise science research, look at how many studies are done only on males. The overwhelming vast majority are done on males. This was true when I was a teacher at a vocational school. The majority of our classes were predominantly males. It is just prevalent in the fitness industry and we're in the fitness industry. And to make it otherwise, but to Nikki's point, uh, uh, paint a message that isn't true to what we're saying, which is this is for everybody, as opposed to singling certain subdivisions out. 